KG, and this is not safe for networks. Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm the Notorious Brandon. The Notorious Brandon. (laughs) How'd your day go? Uh, It was pretty uneventful until the drive over here. So what happened on the drive? You were teasing this earlier. So I was out on the porch teasing this little anecdote. So I'm on the way over and I get stopped by a train. Like the very first person stopped. So I got to wait for the entire train. So I'm sitting and I'm listening to uh Kevin Smith podcast and I decided to have a cigarette. And this uh SUV pulls up next to me and they look over a couple of times and I'm just kind of made eye contact and then they just kind of like started going crazy. And like I'm like what the fuck? Like I'm not blasting music or anything. I'm just chilling arm hanging out the window having a cigarette and the guy pulls out his phone like starts taking pictures i'm like what the fuck like what's going on and then like so then i like start putting two and two together like my boss gave me a uh he grew a bunch of chilies last year and like dehydrated them over the over the winter and like gave me this uh plastic bag full of like green chilies and i have it sitting on my dashboard but from the angle it looks like this giant bag of weed (laughs) and then i like realized like my license plate says green bird And I'm like, oh, this all makes sense now. So you almost looked cool as shit, but the reality is far from it. Right. <laughs> so were they like younger? Were they older? Uh, they look like... Uh, they have a Jesus fish on their car? No, like a couple of... They were younger kids, like early 20-ish. Okay. So they were just like, I can't believe this guy's rolling with weed. It wasn't like, I'm going to take a picture. Yeah, they're like throwing like gang signs out the window and shit. Like, (laughs) what the fuck? By the way, if you see a gang sign in a YouTube video, it's probably not a real gang sign. (laughs) I'm just going to say. Do you remember in Iron Man at the beginning when when, uh, that guy's like, can I take a picture with you, Mr. Stark? And he's like, sure. No No gang symbols. And then he's like, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead and throw him up. (laughs) He was just giving the peace sign. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, where should we start today? Uh, Do you want to start with the review? Do you want to start with something else? Oh, we can start with the review. All right. Do you want to do Incredibles 2? Why don't we start with Hereditary? Hereditary? All right. I'm just going to throw out spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Just scan ahead a few minutes. But... um. Uh, if you really don't care, I'm going to break down this movie. So 
I have never seen a movie so well done, so atmospheric that like works so well, and then just so completely drops the ball at the end. <laughs> like it's amazing. It is amazing. Like this movie, it's I don't want to there's no way to really talk about this without giving it away. So I'm just going to give it away. So spoilers like ahead of time, if you don't want to hear about it, but essentially um, this movie is you're watching this family that's under constant duress. And uh, I'm trying to remember her name, but the actress who's in the United States, a Tara, uh, which is how I got my wife on board with this movie, like plays the mother. It'll come to me later. Um, and she's already got Oscar buzz. I mean, this is pretty early for Oscar buzz, so we'll see when we get further down the line. But she's really, really good in it. And her mother dies at the very beginning, and she's got two kids, one who seems like she's not really there, like uh, probably like D.D., and then another son who seems normal, and then like a husband. And... They go to the funeral, and her funeral is kind of like, well, I'm surprised that there's so many people here. I think my mother would be suspect at how many people are here. And you just get, like, a lot of impressions that, like, her mom was really difficult and hard to deal with. And you find out over the course of the thing, she says, like, her mother had multiple, was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. And and at the same time, there's, like, kind of creepy stuff going on at the house, and it's very clear that the daughter is like seeing her mom in places as well as like the mother who builds these really meticulous models, like keeps seeing flashes of her mom. And the music is just like unrelenting in this movie. Like it's very, it's very atmospheric. It really sets you in the mood of like dread. And this whole movie just sets you with dread and there's very little blood, but it is like, there are scenes that are so shocking in it. And, uh, the, it's very clear that her daughter is really like, I mean, she's probably DD, but she's also really messed up and she starts sleeping in this tree house after her mom dies. And, uh, it's just like, obs- or her grandma and is very obsessed with her grandma. And then at one point, this bird hits the window in the middle of class and gets killed. And so she goes and sneaks out and finds the bird and cuts off its head and then sets up kind of a shrine for it. And, uh, there's just something not right about the daughter. She also can't eat nuts. Like if she eats any kind of nuts, she's like gonna, she needs an EpiPen essentially. So at one point the mother is just kind of slowly going crazy. She's like dealing with all this guilt. She has all these problems with her son that are like slowly revealed over the movie. And, uh, she kind of strong arms her son. Who's like, going off to a party and swears there's no drinking she convinces him to take her sister or his sister with her so he goes with the sister and this is like huge spoiler if you have any interest in this movie this is your last chance but he takes her to the party and he's off smoking pot with a bunch of people and then she just starts like gasping for breath because she clearly ate something that had nuts in it. So he gets in the car with her and he's just driving so fast trying to get her to the emergency room 
And it's just so clear from the music and everything like this isn't going to turn out okay. But it's still fucking shocking because she's like got her head out the window to breathe. And then he fucking hits a telephone. Like he goes up the side of a telephone pole and she loses her head. And like you don't see it. That's the thing. You don't (laughs) see it. But you know it happened. And it's like it's so I've never seen like such an uncomfortable audience like when this happens and she does this clicking noise she's all all the time um which also leads me like don't go if you're gonna go watch this movie don't watch it with teenagers if you can help it at all they're the fucking worst like we went in there there was like a couple that came in and just started talking like it was on the title sequence like they were just doing the opening sequence they come walking in talking the whole time and sit in front of us and i'm just like oh and i was getting pissed and then there was probably like 20 people in the theater with us, mostly teenagers. They were all fucking talking. Once the clicking thing started happening, they started clicking at random parts. It was really obnoxious. So this is one of those movies that say like absolutely do not go with teenagers because it is a bit of an arty movie. So they're going to be really uncomfortable with it and they're going to be loud as shit. So like this is not a movie I'd go to on a Friday night. Like go at like 11 a.m. You know what I mean? Just to like avoid the teenage crowd. But anyway, so so now the daughter starts haunting the son and we start finding out more about their stress out relationship. By the way, he drives back to his house and just goes to bed. He's in total shock with like his sister's body in the back of the car. So this just like really ramps up like the uncomfortable feeling. But the mother starts to lose it. We find out at a certain point that... Sometime earlier, she had come up and like she she says she sleepwalks and she suddenly like came to in a room and she had covered herself and her son in a paint thinner and was about to strike a match when she came through. We also find out when she gets in an argument with her son that she never wanted a son. (coughs) All this basically leads up to the end. Like we start to see like these occult symbols that are everywhere in the movie. And so for a long time, there's a question of like, is this an occult? Is this like insanity that runs through the family? And really, you can make a case for either until the end. Now, here's the thing. Once again, super spoiler, like this is the end of the movie. But up to this point, everything in this movie is working. But they have all of these things that like point to this demon is like wants to be reborn in the the eighth son of Satan or something like that. And uh, they have to find a male host. It has to be a male host. And so it's looking to like wear down the male host until like their emotions, they're just emotionally spent and then it can take over the male host. So it all leads in this climax where like the mother sees this book of the occult she goes to burn it and like her hand catches on fire when she goes to burn it. And so she's like, I can't destroy it. So she's trying to convince her husband who's not on board with all of this, that you need to destroy this book. And she's just in a fucking fervor with it. Okay. So she like finally convinces him to throw it in the fire and he throws it. And like he lights up in flames and just dies. And she was doing it to try or wait, I'm sorry. So she's trying to get him to throw in the fire. He will not throw into the fire. So she chucks it in the fireplace because she's like, she's going to sacrifice herself for her family. And instead her husband like engulfs in flames and dies. So it's like this thing, like you can't stop this kind of thing. 
Um, then the mother really loses it. Uh, there's a lot of other details I'm not given because I don't want to give away the whole movie. But <clears throat> essentially, everything is working in this movie up until right after that. The son who has completely lost it at this point comes and sees her mother who's like floating in the corner of like the attic and like kind of chasing him. And then she like puts this rope around her head and just fucking like saws off her own head and her head drops down still, still works. Okay. Cause it's like the big ending, but then you see this headless body float up into the treehouse. This is where the shit goes off the rails. Okay. Floats up into the treehouse. The sun like crawls up into the treehouse and there's all these Satanists that are in there. All these fat old people who are like butt naked. Like you see penis everywhere and like, it's like really uncomfortable. And then they're all praying to like this upside down cross with like kind of a Jesus figure on it. And they, they basically reveal that he's the eighth king of, of like hell or something like that. And like, it's just like the way that they do it. It's like, it belongs in a completely different movie. Like, it was so good up to the end. Like, I don't know what they were thinking with the end. As soon as you see that headless body float, it's all over, dude. <laughs> like, but uh, I would still recommend seeing the movie. I think it's really good and it really does stay with you after you watch it. Like, it's one, like, that's kind of what I want from a horror movie is to walk away from a movie and still be thinking about it. And, like, that's the highest compliment I can give to horror movies is if it bothers you enough when you finish it. So I think it's absolutely worthwhile. But, like, the ending is so batshit crazy and, like, kind of dog shit, to be honest, that it's, like, it's really unfortunate they couldn't land it because I feel like it would have been a classic horror movie if they could have landed the ending. But... It was really interesting because, like, I I got in this argument with my wife over whether... Well, not argument. We were talking it out. My wife does not like to talk out movies when we walk out. And she was just like... We were both talking about how crazy the end is, but she was like, I think it's like an occult thing. Because I was like, what do you think happened? I was like, well, I think it was like mental illness. And I think, like, we see shades of what the mother sees and shades of what the son sees. And then he's like got visions of grandiose at the end that aren't true. I was wrong. Like she was way closer to accurate, but <coughs> I got on the internet originally to like find out exactly what the director was saying about the movie. So I heard an interview with the director and he was being coy about talking about it because it hadn't come out yet. Like it had just come out in South by Southwest. So that's all the the positive reviews that had been out. But I read this article entitled heredity what the fuck is up with that ending (laughs) but it explains there's like all this stuff that if you're watching for it there's occult symbols everywhere and all of these things and it totally breaks down everything that happened i'm like okay it makes sense it's one of those ones you have to watch twice to kind of get everything and it is sad because i talk about how like the mother it's basically screwed in the entire movie. There's nothing she can do. There's things that she does that act as catalysts to make it happen faster. But in the end, there's nothing she can do to like avoid this. Like it was going to happen no matter what. Like this is a family with no agency. So there's kind of like tones of like, like people dealing with sexism and having no agency and things like that. So I would say like on the whole, it's a good movie. It just really does not stick the, the landing. So that that was my review of Heredity. So I went and saw Incredibles 2 this week. So much like Heredity, I've heard. 
Ah, that movie, Incredibles 2 was so good. That's what I've been hearing. I hear it literally takes up the seconds that the first one ended. Too. Yeah, it literally like starts with the scene from, from the end of the first Incredibles movie. So it goes off there and they have a great sequence where they're chasing the Underminer and I'm watching it like, this is fucking great. Why can't they make a good Fantastic Four movie? I literally <laughs> said that out loud in the theater. <laughs> Just hire Brad Bird <laughs> to do your new Fantastic Four movie. Seriously, like, we have two great, incredible movies, and we can't get one Fantastic Four movie. We might, but we'll get back on that in a second. Anyway. Um, and then, so I'm watching it, and so they're... They, Go after the Underminer. He ends up getting away. But, like, all the destruction that's happened, like, between the robots with Syndrome and then, like, the Underminer just after that. What is the Underminer? Was that in the first movie? Yeah, he was the one that's, like, John Ratzenberger's voice. Okay. Like, he pops out of, like, the underground drill at the very end when they put their masks on. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So, it literally, they're chasing after that villain. And, like, all the stuff, like, that they end up, like, destroying, like, trying to stop him. Like, because, you know, they've been away on an island, like, learning how to work as a family unit. But still, supers are illegal. Right. Yeah, I remember that. That was a big deal. It yeah. seemed like in the trailer they had a whole thing where, like, somehow they were going to put Elastigirl up front publicly to try and... Yeah, so what they do is, um, and so, like, the aftermath, uh, Bob Odenkirk voices right. this, like, uh, media conglomerate head that's, like, trying to get, like, he's, like, really obsessed with supers, like, just likes all the comic lore and, like, just, like, a fanboy, but he's got millions of dollars at his disposal and, like, wants to get supers legalized again and... Basically comes to the conclusion like Elastigirl's the one to do it because she has the least collateral damage is basically the impetus of it. Like, you know, um, Mr. Incredible's really, I mean, he's, well, he's good thing at doing things, but so like he his, runs through stuff. And- yeah. I mean, there's a lot of damage where, you know, Elastigirl's does things more intelligently mm-hmm. and using that superpowers, you know, that they can show the world that they're doing real good and they don't have to destroy everything and trying to legalize it. Um, and just the, you know, what they did really well is they kept with the family dynamics <clears throat> that they play off each other. The, the characters in the family play off each other really well um, it's a really good movie. So what makes this a really good movie? It, like in particular, is there like a storyline in there that really elevates it or, cause I know with Pixar, they're really good at like finding that story that kind of hits your heartstrings. You know, what it really does is does well is the family motive What you know, they started that Incredibles one and really kept with it. And Incredibles too, and they, the the plot line's pretty, eh. 
it's it's there, but it's not super interesting or anything. It's just really well executed. Yeah, it's really well executed, and I do like the like I said, the family dynamic is great, and the little baby's great to watch. She's he's really fun. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a couple of sequences there. You just like they're fun popcorn stuff. Really good jokes. Um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character Frozone gets more of a part in this movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how much screen time does Frozone get? He gets about 10 to 15 minutes, maybe. That's pretty good. I feel like it was like seven, seven minutes. Eight, yeah. yeah. So that's like double the time. Yeah, I really like Samuel L. Jackson, so I want to see Frozone get some reps. <laughs> and Bob Odenkirk's really great. Yeah. Because <laughs> he plays as a sleazy self. Yeah. Well. I've been I've been watching uh, Larry Sanders' show, like, a <laughs> lot lately, and he plays, like, the slimy agent in that, and it's just like, he's so good at playing slimy. He really is. That's what makes Better Call Saul so good, is you're like, oh, he's just playing a slime ball again, but, like... He has three dimensions in that, which is what like makes it crazy. You kind of forget what a slime ball he is sometimes, you know. Yeah, um, I would, the downsides of this movie. I think the who ends up being the villain is really it's really easy to see the the motivations on it, but but it's not really motivated i don't know like inspired what's the deal with the villain so spoilers the villain ends up well bob odenkirk and his sister like run this media empire so the sister is a villain so sister ends up being the villain yeah not surprised and it's it's really easy to spot like they try and do like a little misdirect but it's not it doesn't stick did you were just talking about it and i already figured that shit out (laughs) Yeah, it's probably only supposed to be a surprise for kids, right? Yeah, I mean it if you don't see it coming you're it's hopefully a child. <laughs> hopefully you're six. <laughs> um, but I would definitely recommend going to see it like and I'm laying in bed just like why can't we get a good Fantastic Four movie? <laughs> This is so much fun. Well, here's why we might get a good Fantastic Four movie. Disney just countered Comcast and offered... $72 billion. Yeah. yeah. Not a million like like uh, Dr. Evil, but billion. <laughs> That's fucking intense. And I read like it was already a done deal, but I don't think it's a done deal yet. I think it still has to go to the the... Um, the Fox board board vote on. I still think that's still July tenth. But yeah, I th- so it's got to be approved by them, and then they have to bring it up to the FCC. But chances are the FCC is going to approve whichever these companies wins based off of that whole AT and T merger that happened earlier. So I think it was AT and T and Time Warner. Time Warner, yeah. So. Basically, like off of that, it's a pretty good indication that whoever wins this bid with Fox is, or for Fox is gonna get their deal through. So I can't see Trump's White House or FCC or whatever nixing it. So 
I didn't think they would put kids in camps, but here we are. Yeah, if you had told me that possibility, I don't think I would have doubted it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dude. They've been anti-immigrant at every turn. I don't see why they would change that at, at any way, shape, or form. But kids? <laughs> yeah, I, it's fucked up, dude. It's totally fucked up. Yeah. Um, and what's really bad about it is like it sounds like they're they just passed something to change that, but like they just loosened other stuff. So it's just like it's like smokescreen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, anyway, anyway, let's let's move on to other depressing news since we're there already. Um, so Chris Hardwick, who I think just about like if you're listening to the show, you probably know who he is in some regard. Um, I used to listen to him on the Nerdist a lot, which changed to the ID10 podcast or ID10T podcast. Um, he did Talking Dead, Talking Bad, um, Talking for AMC, and then I think Talking Saul. So he did all those talking shows. He was on, um, uh, what was the MTV show? Singled Out. Yeah, Singled Out. He was, him and Jenny McCarthy were hosting Singled Yeah, he out. did that. He was in House of a Thousand Corpses. That's right. He was Dr. Satan. No. Yeah. No, he was one of the the kids. I thought he was Doctor. I thought he, he had got turned to wear into a stilt. mermaid. I thought he had to wear stilts and shit and be Doctor Satan. No, he's totally one of the kids that ends up like. I think they turn him into a mermaid. Hold on, let's find out. Oops. Here we go. Google enters the show again. Okay. Who did Chris Hardwick play in House of a Thousand Corpses? The characters in House of One Thousand Corpses include Jerry Goldsmith. Um. So was he Jerry Goldsmith then? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Da 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 da. Yeah, I guess he was just one of the dudes. Okay. Anyway, that's really not important to this, no. so I don't know why we veered off the rails. But uh, so Chris Hardwick was accused of sexual misconduct with Chloe Dykstra, who is his girlfriend for three years. Um, she was saying that he was. She wrote this essay, which I read on a blog post, and she was basically saying that. He was 20 years older than her and they wound up in a relationship and he would come home and he'd be really grouchy and not talk with her and not want to ever go out. Didn't want her to go out, made her like kind of distance herself from all her male friends. And then when he had come home from work, he would expect sex. And so he forced himself onto her a few times and then it was just like expected and she would go along with it every day. Um, and then Right before they broke up, she got involved with another guy and wound up kissing him, and he found out about it, and so he turned around and made sure that she didn't get a job in the industry again after that, and so he started calling up places because he had had her like work at the Nerdist for a while, and she didn't want to like take a paycheck, and so eventually people in the company convinced her to take a paycheck while she was there, um, and he wound up calling a bunch of companies and that he knew she applied at and getting her blacklisted essentially. Um, 
<clears throat> also, one particular tidbit she was talking about that I heard Chris Hardwick talk about on the Nerdist one time, which was um, she had to have an, a, an abortion at a certain point because her health was at risk. And the doctor came in and was explaining everything and, and how she was recovering okay. And it was like her parents in the room and her and Chris Hardwick. And then he said, so when can we start having sex again? And I remember him <sighs> explaining that like on the Nerdist podcast years ago and talking about how like it was just that inappropriate joke that like gets hard last because that's just where his head goes to or whatever. But I remember hearing it then and being like, that's fucked up. And then like really thinking back on like a lot of stuff he used to say on the Nerdist and he always talk about how like he would get done working for the day because he's always working a bunch of shows. I think he was also on um, After Midnight or whatever that show was on Comedy Central. And uh, he would just be like really grouchy and wouldn't feel like talking or anything. And so he'd just go home to sulk and he knew he was kind of an asshole. And you talk about that all the time. So that doesn't jive well with what she's saying because it really like kind of accentuates the story. You know what I mean? But then there's another time I remember he was talking about um, like it was around Christmas time and Matt Mira and uh, um, Jonah Ray, who's on like Mystery Science Theater 3000, like they used to do the show with him all the time. And then they kind of fell off and every now and then they would jump on there, but not very often. And so they were all sitting down around Christmas time and talking about it. And I remember like he w he convinced her to go up on the mic and talk about her experience, like having to get the abortion. And like she clearly didn't want to talk about it, but he kind of like like strong armed her into it while they're in the room, like kind of made her uncomfortable until she went up to the mic. And like, I remember hearing that and thinking that was really fucked up, but it's like, you know, when you're not looking for something, you just hear like a fucked up thing. And then a couple years pass and you hear another fucked up thing, but you don't quite string them together. Yeah. Like I read that essay and I remembered all of that shit. So like anybody who's like still sticking up for Chris Hardwick, you need to stop. Cause you're, you're now listening to somebody who's, like easily listen to three to 400 episodes of his podcast, like watch a lot of his talking shows. Like, and uh, I'm telling you, dude, he did this shit. Like he's he clearly has problems and I'm glad he got called out on it. And I kind of worry for his current wife. Cause if that's the way that he treats the person he's with, it's, I don't know. And she talked a lot about how, um, he, uh, he was very obsessed with like what people would think about the relationship and things like that. And he was very obsessed with her not talking about their relationship with anybody. So it's like, I think he's like super image conscious, but I was talking with my wife about all this and she was like, he sounds like a psychopath. And I was like, yeah, kind of like the classical definition of a psychopath, not like somebody who kills people in the shower, but like somebody who's so driven, they put, that's all they can see is that drive and they have to get to that thing. And they're very obsessed with appearing normal to everybody. But at the same time, they will do anything they need to, to get what they want. Yeah. He kind of like, seems like he fits that bill, you know? Um, I don't know. Did you, did you like wade into that at all? I mean, I know it was trending pretty huge for a while. You know, I didn't, um, the only thing that I read is because I believe he's actually out on the 
the Walking series, at least for The Walking Dead. Or yeah, the I Talking think Dead. AMC suspended him for the foreseeable future from all his endeavors. And there. they are in talks right now with uh, Yvette Nicole Brown to take over duties on that, which is awesome because I love Yvette. Who is that? She is on uh, Community. Okay. Uh, she plays Shirley and just real fun to watch. So, and I wish nothing but the best for her. So, you know, something like that where she could have a fun platform. I, I think it's great. Yeah. Especially if you get that shit bag out of there, then. And I, I will say something too, cause I've been kind of reading the reactions to this stuff. Like, when I say, like, I'm out on Chris Hardwick, like, understand that, like, I was listening to his podcast and, like, I kind of go in and out of it. And, like, I think that he was really good at what he did, which was, like, getting celebrities to talk and, like, relate and let their guards down and talk about all these things. Like, he got really good nuggets out of his interview. He's really good at that shit. But at a certain point, it's, like, I absolutely believe the victim. You know, and uh, it's it, it fits absolutely in line with everything I've heard him say about himself. Like, if you guys listen to us on a regular basis, you don't know everything about me and Brandon, but you know essentially who we are. You know, like we're talking back and forth and you're going to get nuggets from our lives and you're going to hear our personality. I am up. not a drug dealer. No. <laughs> But your neighbor <laughs> or ex-neighbor. Ex yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, you're going to get – like, that's kind of a side effect of podcasting is, like, people are going to – whether you know it or not, you may not know who it is, but, like, people are going to know shit about you because stuff's going to come out. And uh, they're going to know you better because it is a very intimate kind of thing. Like, you put earbuds in your ears and then you listen to these people talking – you know, like often it's often friends that are talking back and forth, you know, and you're going to find out things about about these people. And um, like, I really like this podcast, but it's I'm able to separate that from the man and the man is a shitty person, you know, and so I won't be supporting it anymore. But that's not the, the people are saying like, well, it went to shit. So blah, blah, blah. But this doesn't even factor into it. You know what I mean? Like, it's. This is about how he treated other people when the microphones were off. Yeah. And that's not okay. So I just want to be clear on that because I I feel like sometimes the reaction to the stories are always kind of muddied. And I think people sort of miss, like they kind of miss the forest from the trees, you know? Yeah. But anyway, we should probably move on to greener pastures somewhere. Um. You were saying something about a Shining sequel? So, they're, they did, they're working, Paramount is working on a se sequel to, this, to The Shining um, called Dr. Sleep. Now, is this based off of the, the book that Stephen King wrote that's a sequel? Um, I believe it's actually, I don't know that for sure. I know they're going off of the events that take place in the movie. Okay. So, however that... I um, know the movie's not totally accurate to the book, so... Right. Um, but 
what it is is they they don't have a release date yet. Uh, Paramount's uh, production on that, um, and they signed you and McGregor on to be the lead, who's Danny Torrance. Okay, so he's playing the kid grown up. Yeah, he's a grown up. He is dealing with alcoholism like his father did, and but he still has psychic abilities. The shine. This is starting to sound like the the Stephen King book. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we were making fun of it a lot when we read about like with psychic vampires and stuff. I think that was something that was in the the book. It might have been, but there was no mention of psychic, psychic vampires. vampires. Yeah. <laughs> Do they um, twinkle when they're using their powers? <laughs> that would be fucked up. <laughs> um, let's see what else is on there. Uh, so Danny gets sober, trying to use his powers good by uh, working with Terminator ill patients um but he finds like it works with this uh young girl who's dying has has the shining but there's people out to get her and that's about all they talk about as far as the plot goes so if they keep the psychic vampires out i'm okay Oh, it's happening. <laughs> Everything Stephen King is hitting big right now. Yeah, I just saw the other day they announced uh, the Castle Rock show has been greenlit. So. I think uh, Mark Bernardin worked on that from uh, Fat Man on Batman. Yeah. He's one of the writers. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to watch it. It's like uh, kind of combining five or six Stephen King properties into one shared universe of a show so i know christine is in there i don't remember the other stuff that's in there but yeah so i'm gonna check that out when it hits hulu eventually dude i've been having such a hard time watching tv i guess i waste all my time watching larry sanders show but it doesn't feel like a waste (laughs) (laughs) i uh wasted my time catching up on iZombie, and so glad i did yeah that season has been just phenomenal i and it's they they wrote the writing on that this season has been fucking top notch i mean they elevated the their universe like the writing in it they did so they built up these different factions across seattle like and the writing what was really interesting when I started thinking about it after I finished watching the show last night is how fun it would be to write for that show because they got to, you know, basically write their own rules to the universe and they've done a really good job of sticking to those rules uh-huh. and getting to like write and, you know, build on more rules to the universe as it expands. But not just, like, the rules of the show, but, like, writing actual laws in the show is interesting. Like, how freaking the government's dealing with 
10,000 zombies all of a sudden, like that are, I mean, they're not the typical drooling at the mouth Romero zombies. Like they're regular intelligent human beings that eat brains. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, they're, like obviously they can't just like go out and wholesale slaughter zombies. So the writing the rules like they made it so it was illegal to create more zombies. Like if a zombie was found making more zombies, they would be killed <coughs> and publicly executed. So it's really interesting like the writing is so top notch right now. <coughs> So it'll be interesting to see where they go next season. I'm like, I toward the end of the season, it was like, they've gone, build this up so well. I can't see where this is going. Yeah. And that I think is a good trademark of a good show. The one thing I will hope to see is that they plan, if they plan an end to that show, I'm kind of bummed out because, as you discovered on the porch with me, like I just realized that Supergirl had five episodes I didn't see. I thought they had a finale. I watched this episode that really felt like the finale. It turns out they had like five episodes since then. <laughs> so now I need to catch up on Supergirl because I found out the finale was this week. And I was like, what? I thought I watched that like five weeks ago. <laughs> Apparently not. But did you say there was something with Supergirl? So they they officially announced what the storyline's going to be for season 4. Okay. And it actually happens to deal with the uh finale of that. It takes place in Russia and it's the Red Sun storyline. Oh. And I know we've I talked about this. I don't even know how to process that because that's <laughs> weird. I first off, like Supergirl, I felt like when it started to get really good was when they stopped like ripping off Superman stories all the time. So that's number one. But number two, how do you have you read Red Sun? No. Okay. Red Sun is like an Elsewhere's book. It's essentially Superman lands on Earth. 12 hours later or whatever it is. So instead of landing in Smallville, he lands in Russia. And so like, there's basically three acts to the book. And the first act is like Superman grows up and like has pretty similar values to like the way Superman is, but it's slightly different, you know, like he definitely is for making the, the communist government strong and things like that. Then the second act is him rising to power, deciding that humanity can't like can't do it itself as he does, you know, currently in the comic book. Said he decides that he needs to rise to the top of the government and he needs to overlook everything. At the same time, Lex Luthor is like incredibly paranoid about this and is essentially the hero for the American government. Like, and he's developing a way to try and stop Superman as he decides to take over the world because he decides Rush is not enough. He needs to, to guide all of humanity. 
And then it basically, the third act is like Luther kind of beating Superman, but Superman like realizing the errors of his ways. And then like everything kind of repeats itself. Like it's very much like Battlestar Galactica where they're like, everything has happened before and it will happen again. And so there's like a lot of heady ideas going on in that, but I don't see how that works for Supergirl because it's such a, like she already landed on earth. So what are they doing? Is there like a, a Kryptonian who landed in Russia who's taking over the world? Like that feels, it almost feels too big for Supergirl. And just by its nature, I don't know. I don't know how this story works. I guess I'll have to see it unfold, but the, the last season, barring the last five episodes, which I apparently didn't see, was not the best season. And I really like Supergirl, but I feel like they kind of lost their way and weren't sure of what they really wanted to do with it. Um, I don't know how you turn this into a story. Much as like when we watched Flashpoint play out, I was very excited to see it play out. But then as I saw it play out, it was like, well... You stripped all the good stuff from the comics out because you can't have Batman, you can't have Aquaman, you can't have Wonder Woman. So you stripped out the best two storylines in Flashpoint and what makes Flashpoint such a great story. Like there's three great stories and they stripped out two of them. Um, I look at it the same way with Red Sun. I'm like, how do you make this a viable story? Like Red Sun would be a great movie. I remember when we talked about that, when somebody had pitched Red Sun and they refused it, but if they had pitched Red Sun now, it could become a movie. Seeing it as a season of Supergirl, I just don't see how that works. You know what I mean? I, I just I don't understand how that could possibly work. I mean, maybe it's slightly influenced by it, but you're still going to have Supergirl squaring off against them, so I just don't see... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not thrilled with this idea, let me put it that way. Um, I don't think that's going to translate well to the Berlani verse, but I don't know. That's just me. I, I thought it worked great for like Planet X or Universe X or whatever it Crisis was. Crisis on Earth X. Yeah, Crisis on Earth X. What's the what's the planet? Is it Earth X? I think it's Earth yeah. X, right? Yeah, it worked great with Supergirl being in charge in Earth X, but I don't know about this. Maybe it's in another universe i if it was in another universe i could see that more but in the established supergirl world doesn't make sense to me i think she's in like earth eight or something i don't remember which one i don't know which earth she's on but let's say earth eight why not (laughs) the ocho yeah the ocho (laughs) that's one of the best jokes from dodgeball the movie (laughs) espn eight the ocho it's the second best joke. The best jokes is when Rip Torn like hurls the wrench at somebody. He <laughs> goes, dodge "If you can wrench. dodge a wrench, you can dodge a dodgeball," <laughs> which is basically his character in the Larry Sanders show. Which is why I'm watching it so much. <laughs> I forgot how much I love Rip Torn. <laughs> Anywho, um, I have one other bit of news here. Um, so apparently, because Solo has not done well so far, it's gotten. I believe 300 million worldwide and they haven't released a budget, but it's speculated it was 250 before advertising. So like this may be the first star Wars movie to ever lose money in the box office. 
as a result of that, they have now put all Star Wars stories on hold. They're not going to do them right now. So like that Boba Fett project we talked about a couple of weeks ago, all the people speculating about Obi-Wan, that shit is not happening, at least right now. Um, they're just going to focus on episode nine and then they're going to work on that new trilogy, which presumably is the one that, um, the guys from game of Thrones are coming up with, I think, or Ryan Johnson, but it'll be whatever that trilogy is, whichever one of those they go with will be the next project. But so we're looking at a star Wars movie every other year. What do you, what do you think about this? You know, I think, it's a good idea to slow them down so much to like build the hype a little more. Cause I think, you know, there were a lot of people, myself included, that were kind of jaded by last Jedi. And I think it really hurt solo even standing on its own. Just cause I think there's, there's a little bit of, Star Wars overload. Mm-hmm. So spacing that out some makes sense to me. I do think there's an overload in that they did two Star Wars movies like a couple months Within apart six from months, each other. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was a mistake. I think I really think they could weather the yearly thing and have it be a 12, fine. 12 months is probably minimum. Yeah. Um, but I gotta be honest, man, they're giving me less of what I want. Like I liked solo. Uh, I liked, uh, rogue one. They were doing exactly what I wanted, which was like these little side stories in the star Wars universe that aren't involving every fucking character. You know, that, you know, was what I did like when they, when they did force awakens and then they did a year and then, so a year later they did rogue one and, it gave them time to work on Last Jedi, but also kept kept Star Wars going, but not beat you about the head with it. Yeah. And I think they tried to do, like, too soon with Solo. Yeah, I do agree they should have held it off six months, worked on it more. Um, especially with all, especially with up. all of the uh, problems they were having, you know, firing the directors and yeah, they were really trying to get all the Star Wars movies back to the summer, so they'd circled Solo as the first time that they'd do it. But I feel like they should have just if that was the end goal, they should have just pushed it back to next summer. But all of that being said, like I think. It's interesting because there's so many different factions of fans. Like you and me are opposed on this, but like we're very much in agreement on most things. Star Wars, I think like we're not like vehemently disagreeing. Like you had problems with the last Jedi, but you're not one of the dudes who are just like fucking railing about last Jedi. Right. And I feel like those guys are so fucking vocal that like, and it's guys it's yeah. It's all guys. It's all white guys. Uh, they're the reason why we're getting less Star Wars in the end. Like, they fucking bitched about it so much that um, when they tried to, like, push out this release schedule, and I think, like, Disney shot themselves in a foot, in the foot a bit by, like, 
releasing solo so soon after the last Jedi. But I think those two things kind of combine to like, we're only going to get one every other year now. And I'm happy we're getting one every other year, but I'm a guy who is very much like, like the novels and like the different places they went with the novels. And we're just straight up not going to get that now. And that's, that's the bummer for me. Like being a star Wars fan is I really like going, like I really enjoyed solo. I, I did. And it like, and I realize it's not something that everybody's going to get behind, but for me, it's like a heist movie in the star Wars universe. I'm fucking on board. I want to see a hacker movie in the star Wars universe. I want to see like a Romeo and Juliet star style movie in the, in the universe. Like whatever you got, fucking put it in the universe and translate. That's what always worked so well about the novels for me is that they could tell so many different kinds of stories in that universe because it's such a big like sandbox that has real defined things that make the universe. But it's like, it's not dependent on like three or four people to make the universe. Like there's a lot of characters and a lot of stories. And that's the bummer for me with this is like, the thing I was the most excited about Disney getting Star Wars for was getting these little like side stories that didn't matter to like the big overarching story. And now it's just like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that reaction to last Jedi is going to be twice as bad from now on because now instead of like having these little spinoff things where you could tell these other stories, now everybody's going to be focused on like these movies above all. And I think we've already discovered that like the Star Wars fan base can't agree on fucking anything. You know? <laughs> so I just feel like the vitriol is going to get worse and worse and worse. Like, I don't know. Maybe Star Wars has just gotten too big for its own good. Like, maybe that's all it is at this point, because I don't think everybody... Like, you're never going to find blockbusters that everybody agrees on, but it's like, Last Jedi is one of those movies that, like, if you really hate it, like, you don't want to talk to the people who really love it, and if you really love it, you don't want to talk to the people who really hate it. And if you're in the middle, you get pulled onto both sides. You know what I mean? Like, this is... That was such a divisive movie in so many ways, and I can't, it's either going to be like retelling the same things over and over again, or it's going to be doing different things. And both of those things are going to piss people off. There's no safe yeah. ground in the middle. You know, like I thought Force Awakens was like one of the most crowd pleasing movies I'd ever seen. And then you come to find out like a couple years later. Yeah. There's a bunch of people I know who fucking hate Force Awakens. And it's like, really? Like I thought everybody kind of liked that movie. So it's like, there's, there's no making everybody happy on this movie or even making a majority happy on this movie. I just don't know anymore, man. It's, <laughs> we talk about star Wars all the time, but it's, there's so many people that like, I get not wanting to see solo, but there's so many people that are already talking shit about solo. And it's like, dude, you didn't even you watch know, it. You didn't even fucking watch it. And you're talking shit about it. You know what I mean? You know, and I can, I can completely understand um, cause I fall in the category, haven't seen solo. Right. But that's not to say I'm shitting all over it. Cause no, I, I don't, you just I don't know anything. I like, I honestly don't know anything about it. It could be a fucking great movie. It could be dog shit, but 
I'm not going to, you know, say one way or another without actually seeing it. Yeah, it seems to me like it just didn't interest you. And it kind of seemed that way at every point. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it never, like, the trailers and everything never really, like, piqued my interest. And then, like, after watching The Last Jedi once and been like, eh, I'm, I'm good. Like... That I don't understand. <laughs> the more I think about that movie, the more it like bothers me. The more, like, the more I think about that movie, it bothers me how it bothers everybody else. Yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. Like, and I, that was another one. Like, I walked out of that one, and I, I remember telling my wife, I was like, "It's so good," and like, does these really creative things with Star Wars, and like. It's still crowd pleasing, but I just went and saw it with the wrong crowds, I guess, because like immediately afterwards I found out, oh yeah, a lot of people really fucking hate this movie. <laughs> and uh I don't know. Like it scratched an itch that I had for Star Wars, but it doesn't seem to scratch the same itch for everybody. And it's weird because like I feel like I'm the optimist with Star Wars movies in a way. Like I'm always since Disney has started putting them out, I've been talking so like uh, glowingly about the all the ones that have come out, but at the same time, like you and me, fucking hated the prequels. Yeah, like hated the prequels, dude. And uh, so I know I'm not that fan. I know I'm not the one who just like sees everything and and loves it because it's Star Wars. Like I really, I've tried to like soften on the the prequels and like not use such strong language about them and stuff. But like, truthfully, I don't want to ever rewatch them. Like they just, they didn't feel very good to me. And uh, I don't know. Star Wars is so big at this point and spans so many generations. I just don't think we're ever going to get a Star Wars movie that everybody is on board with anymore. Yeah. It's just not a thing that's going to happen. Even, like, there are fans that are younger than us who are, like, in their 20s who love the prequels and hate the original trilogy. How did that happen? It probably happened from us talking shit about the prequels and that was their Star Wars, so they're like, you know what? Fuck the original trilogy. That's That's for old people. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of... um, And this is not me on a millennial rant, okay? I'm not going on a millennial rant, but... That is a lot of millennials who won't watch movies that were made before, like, 1999. You know what I mean? This is not all millennials, but there are some of them. I know some of them who just, they're like, oh, that's an old movie. I'm not watching that. I just watched an old movie the other day and fucking forgot how much I love that movie. What movie? Throw Mama from the Train. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had that on a VHS tape in my first apartment. Uh, I had a stack of like a couple hundred VHS movies that my my grandpa had recorded off of VCRs and like various pay-per-view channels and stuff. Just you remember that? He had the list yeah. of all the movies. And like so many people were like, that's awesome. Cause they'd ha- I'd be like, pick a movie and just throw them a list. And it had something like six to eight hundred movies on the list. But uh, I remember Throw Mama from the Train. I watched it a lot when I was at that house, like a lot for some reason. And I, I haven't seen it in a long time. But the mother in that, uh, Danny DeVito's mother, who they want to throw from the train. Yeah. Uh, Granny talks like this. She's in the Goonies. My grandma was really good friends with her, 
Really? Yeah, and uh, my my mom's mom, so she passed about twenty years ago, but um, said she was like the nicest woman and the kindest, like gentlest woman or most gentle woman. But like for whatever reason, when when it came to like movies, she just made a living playing these like despicable people. You know. <laughs> <coughs> I could totally see that. And it's funny because, like, I haven't seen it in probably 20 years mm-hmm. or more. It's a movie based off an even older movie. Yeah. Because it is, isn't it based off, like, a Hitchcock movie Hitchcock or movie, Strangers on a Train, which they actually reference in the movie. A lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, he's even watching clips from the movie, as I recall. Yeah, to get motivation for what happens in this movie. Yeah, because basically the movie is like Danny DeVito has a writing class with Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal is like a novelist who's, I think his ex-wife steals his story. Is that Kate right? Kate Mulgrew oh, is his ex-wife. Wow. <laughs> Voyager captain slash orange is the new black inmate. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, she steals a story and so he's just fucking. And goes on Oprah and just like everybody's like just glowing about this book. That he wrote, and he's going crazy over it. And so one night he starts bitching about her to Danny DeVito, who can't stand his mother, who's just like awful to him. And so he, I think, doesn't Danny DeVito watch the movie or something? And then he gets the idea like, you kill my mom, and then I'll kill your girlfriend, and then they'll never be able to figure it out because there's no motivation for us to do that. There's no motivation. We both have alibis at that point. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thinking, but shit goes off the rails rather quickly. Yeah, it's a dark comedy that when you really get to the end of it isn't that dark, but like it does seem that dark for a while. (laughs) Yeah, it's... And I just like it results in a pop up book. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's. I remember watching it a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. and the fucking frying pan scene where they're at the breakfast table. Like, I watched it two three nights ago, and I still fucking rolled at that. <laughs> and I've seen that clip hundreds of times. I mean, I think I had the VHS and like rewound it like back and forth. Just I've seen that clip so many times and I still find it hilarious. Billy Crystal really, really had a great run in the 80s. He had a lot of great like when Harry met Sally, people forget how funny that movie is. Like go back and watch it sometime like that shit is fucking hilarious. Just the whole scene where he's like riding around with Meg Ryan at the beginning in the car and just annoying the living shit out of her like the whole way. <laughs> it's just, but like it's such a gradual evolution of their relationship. Like it really is good character development. Uh, forget Paris. I watched that with my wife a while ago and like she loved it, even though it's got tons of basketball in it because he like plays an NBA referee. Um, yeah, he had a lot of good movies in the 80s. The Princess Bride. Yeah. Playing Miracle Max. Yeah, it, it was... Well, the thing that really, like, when watching Throw Mama from the Train, the thing that really, like, stuck with me is, like, I really enjoy anything Danny DeVito touches. Yeah. 
like he has such a catalog of stuff he's written, directed, produced, uh, beyond his acting roles, even like yeah, Pulp Fiction. He produced Pulp Fiction. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, dude, <laughs> huge, huge produ- producer on Pulp Fiction. Like more responsible than anybody other than Quentin Tarantino for that movie getting made. That's great. I mean, just like even stuff like um, the kids watch. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Matilda. No, but I know my kids have watched it. It's really good. Like, and it's funny because Danny DeVito is like just fucking despicable character in that. But watching the storyline, it all works so well. He knows how to put a movie together. Uh, I was talking with Carl at work the other day about uh, romancing the stone. <laughs> which, like, it's one of those things, like Danny DeVito playing a despicable villain in it. And yet, you love him because, like, he they have another villain who's way worse than him. So, right. like, you know what I mean? Like The drug it, dealer that, like, feeds people to crocodiles? Yes. Zemeckis. <laughs> <laughs> he was on a fucking run, too, that director. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, I love that. And then, have you ever seen the sequel to... to Jewel of the Nile? Yeah, Jewel of the Nile. Yep. I remember liking it when I was a kid, it's, but I have no idea if it, if it holds up. It's... I haven't watched it in a while. It's a movie. But... <laughs> It's not not as good as Romancing the Stone, but it's fun in its own right. And then don't like, if I recall, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito love working with each other so much that then they made War of the Roses, but they <laughs> flipped it so that Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas are like despicable people, but Danny DeVito is like the nice, reasonable one. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually seen that one, but it's pretty good. If they had a skeleton who had flown a a flight with like filled with weed that crashed in a jungle, I might have watched it. <laughs> I'm just saying, dude. Zemeckis was fucking killing it. Are you aware of like all the great movies Zemeckis made? I have seen a few Zemeckis movies. In Back to the Future. Back to the Future Two. Back to the Future 3. It's amazing. <laughs> also, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, Forrest Gump. Like, so many movies, dude. He was really killing it, like, for a, a pretty big period. And then I feel like it all went off the rails with Polar Express. That's when it all went downhill. The movie that everybody knows but nobody likes. Yeah. I don't even know kids that like that movie. Mm-mm. It, it's been in my house a few times and it's just one of the things that comes on and nobody wants to I watch it. I watched it. it, but it was like, eh. I watched was, some of it. There was nothing really that seemed memorable about that movie. Is The only thing I remember, there's nothing memorable. Yeah, the only thing I remember was it was the first motion capture movie. So it was like, oh, this looks weird. Oh, it's an interesting <laughs> technology that doesn't isn't done well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was later, but, you know, not then. Yeah. Well, it's probably a good place to, to cut off, so take it easy. Ride the Polar Express. 
Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.